So it's the most wonderful time of the year. Spring has sprung. And March Madness is rolling on, right? Even though our beloved Beavers uh, are not playing this year in the tournament, uh, our beloved Tar Heels are, right? Yes, Katie loves the Tar Heels. Go Tar Heels. <laughs> Alma mater of Michael Jordan. No, she likes Duke, and that's okay. See, this is the proof of, of unity in Christ. <laughs> uh, a Tar Heel and a devil can worship together. Uh, Blue Devil. It's Blue Devil. Let's get that straight. Uh, so anyway, well, let's pray the Tar Heels win. But if they don't, that's okay, because probably the Peacocks will win, and that, that's a fun story, right? So one of the things I love about the NCAA tournament is the unbridled passion of the players, the, the raw emotion, the utter love for the game that, you know, you can see it as they slap the floor and they dive for balls and they play defense and they play hard. But none of these feelings, none of these emotions are enough to make you a winner. You have to be devoted to the fundamentals of the game, right? If you ever played basketball or any sport, you, got, you remember, no turnovers. Your coach would pound this into you. You can't turn over the ball if you want to win. You can be as excited as you want to be, but if you turn over the ball, you're going to lose. You have to rebound, play defense, ball movement for the right shot, and for goodness sake, do not miss a layup, right? All of you who played basketball know what I'm talking about. But there's no substitute for maturing as a basketball player there's no substitute like playing under pressure, like in the NCAA tournament. They always seem to be almost always close games, and there's tons of buzzer beaters, and that's why we love March Madness. And it's the pressure cooker of the game of basketball in that tournament setting that makes young players mature players. The path to being a mature basketball player does not lie in emotion but in how well you know the game and how you can execute the fundamentals. Also being 6'10 really helps. But the path to being a Christian is similar. It depends on how well you know Christ. Christ is the creator and the reconciler of all things our passage this morning is going to tell us. The path to Christian maturity depends on how well you know Christ. Though he's calling us to know him and praise him as the creator and reconciler of all things. Jesus is worthy of your praise because he's the Lord of creation and reconciliation. Now Paul wants the Colossian Christians to become mature in Christ. So, so he puts on a coach's clinic for them. He he breaks it down for them. And, and, and we've been looking at these little chunks, these little chunks of the, of the clinic, uh, chunks of the message of Colossians that Paul has written to the Colossian Christians. And we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20 today. And by, by way of review, let's just remember, like, this, just, let's just drive this, this metaphor that we're using, this illustration, that Paul's first session in his coach's clinic in, in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul tells them that he is not writing on his own authority, but on the authority of God, by the will of God in Christ. And his message to them is one of grace and peace. 
in this second session, he, he takes us in, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. He, he takes the Colossians to first teaching about Christian maturity, and that is that to give thanks for the faith, hope, and love that is inside the Colossians through the fruit of the Spirit that's bearing gospel work in them, bearing gospel fruit of them by his Spirit. In the third session in his coach's clinic, Paul expands about Christian maturity, expands his prayer of thanksgiving to a prayer of intercession where he thanks God for the fruit-bearing work of the gospel in these people, and now he asks for more fruit-bearing of the Spirit inside the Colossian Christians, that they may know and love God and know and love one another. The steps and the knowledge of his will. He, he wants them to be filled with the knowledge of his will so that they might live lives pleasing to God. So the steps in Christian maturity are to recognize that they come from God. These spiritual fruits come from God through the gospel. So give thanks and ask for more maturity. And Paul reminds us that all of these steps come from God in the good news. He's qualified them for inheritance in the saints of light. He's emancipated them from the shackles of darkness. And he's placed them in the kingdom of his beloved son. The one who's redeemed you, who has forgiven your sins. We'll see that in the, the end of that last section, verses 9 through 14. And so what should we do? What should we do? What's the next steps in Christian maturity? Praise the one who freed you from darkness by forgiving your sins and gave you this inheritance. You praise him. Here's the next step, um, and we, we're in our prayers, we're remembering that we, part of the thing that God wants us to do is to praise him. Our Lord even told us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your name be holy. We're asking that God gets more praise. So we're just going to look at this in two headings, the king of creation and the, the reconciler of man. The king of creation, verses 15 through 17. So uh, there's a lot of text here. I know it's only 119 words, but it is, in terms of depth, it is massive. And so I'm, I'm doing my best to keep it shorter, but the, the content is, is, is deep, and it deserves more study than we can even give it this morning. But until the Colossian Christians received a letter from Paul, they had unwittingly been going down a dangerous road, right? They've been going down a road that they didn't even know was dangerous. And that is teachers had been coming in and, and telling them, look, you, you, yes, Jesus is a good start, but you need more. You, you need a fuller knowledge. You, and, and, in order to be fully mature, you need to go down actually a different path to become fully mature. And they were in danger of being disqualified by false teachers and totally telling them that they need more than Jesus. They needed special knowledge to be filled. They needed to observe certain days and, and fasts and, and, and asceticism in chapter 2. And Paul is telling them, no. He, he's telling them, no, it's all about Christ. Christ is overall. So as Jamie read for us, he tells them he, the one way that they become fully mature is Jesus. He is. He is the path to full maturity. Because he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So, 
Instead of needing a special knowledge, they, they needed more knowledge of Jesus. So full confession here. When I first heard Rob Bell, I, I actually liked listening to him. Uh, he, he was funny, right? Did you guys see ever see his NUMA videos and, and those kinds of things? He was a clever communicator and he was provocative and he was pushing back against like traditional Christianity in, in ways that uh, were interesting. But the more you listened to Rob Bell, the more, uh, the more I listened to him, the more I realized that some things he was saying was not lining up with Scripture. And he comes out with his book, Love Wins, which was essentially saying that everything, everyone is going to be redeemed regardless if they turn to Jesus or not. And, 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 and so I had to make a switch in my mind to like, this guy is a really clever communicator to like, this guy is, this guy's preaching heresy. And what Paul would tell us and what he's teaching the Colossians that if you want to grow in maturity, you must be taken up with the truth of the real Christ. And that's what he puts on display in 15 through 20. And you notice this is such a beautiful passage of scripture. It's, it's, a, it's a poem. It's a hymn about Christ that some people think Paul either wrote or borrowed and put it into this liturgy. You want, you want to know how to mature in Christ? You must know the real Christ. Don't, don't be duped by any fake Christ. And Paul says, you, you can actually know, when you know the real Christ, you'll know the real God. Because, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. And the way Paul has structured this, this hymn, this poem, is three, uh, four times he says he is, and then he explains who he is. But the he is takes us back to who, who is he that he's talking about. I'm telling you that it's Christ, but how do we know it's Christ? Because he said in, in verse 13 that he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The he is is referring back to the beloved son. Who is the beloved son? It is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And that man, Jesus Christ, is the beloved son of God. He is God of very God, the confession says. He is light of very light. So John tells us in chapter 1, verse 14, that the beloved son was, the be was in the beginning with God and was God. The beloved son came to dwell among us, tabernacle among us, in Jesus Christ, in, in, the, in, in full humanity. And we beheld his glory. If you want to know if you're maturing as a Christian, Hold up your maturity against the light of the beautifully visible God, Jesus. Does your faith depend on anything other than him? If so, go back to the Christ, the king of creation, who is truly beautiful. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Not only that, in verse 15, also the real Christ. Do you want to know if you're maturing? You must go back to the real Christ. The real Christ is the image of God, but he's also the firstborn of all creation. The beloved son is here called the firstborn. So son for us uh, conjures up images of beginnings and, and births and first breaths. But here, the word has to do with first place. 
It, it means supremacy or priority of rank. Firstborn means uh, he is the, the firstborn in terms of priority or supremacy. The Son of God is eternally the Son of God. And so in the ancient Near East, it, it was, you know, the firstborn was the one who was going to take over the family business. If the dad was a carpenter, carpenter, he was going to be the carpenter that took over the family business. He had priority. He had rank. And that's, that's the meaning here. It's not that Jesus, uh, it's not that the Son of God came into existence when he was born. The Son of God, Philippians tells us, took on flesh. He, he came down and took on flesh and was robed in flesh. He was forever God, and he became man. He, he, he robed himself in human flesh. And you can actually understand that from the following verses. If he was the creator of all things, then he had to be before those things. Right, So verse 16 says, he was the firstborn of all creation for, because by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So the Son of God, Christ, who became man, in eternity, he was before all things, and he was the creator, speaking the world into existence. The king of creation was uncreated. The king of creation was God. And, and this truth really matters, friends. It means that nothing exists outside of his authority or control. But it also matters because unless we get this right, he cannot be the savior of the world. If Jesus was created, he cannot be a God who, who, who would come as a man and, and take on the sins of the world and satisfy God's eternal wrath. And so Paul describes this authority in poetic language that encompasses all authority. Notice he says, in heaven and on earth. It takes us back to Genesis 1.1. It's a it's a, it's a contrast in heaven and on earth, meaning that he, he has authority over everything. He also says it's visible and visible. It's seen and unseen authorities. It's seen and unseen things. He's created the material and the immaterial world. So why is this relevant for these Christians in Colossae, these Colossian Christians? Why? Why is it relevant for you and I? Well, it's relevant because they were being taught that there were spiritual authorities that they needed to be in tune with in order to become a real Christian, a mature Christian. Being dialed in with the, the spiritual life force of the universe is the full knowledge you need to be a mature Christian, to be the true you that God created you to be. And yes, Jesus can help you get there, but it's only the start. You need this fuller knowledge. Paul teaches us that there is no spiritual force outside of Christ's control because he created it all. And therefore, you don't need it, friend. You do not need to be in tune with spiritual force through your breathing exercises or through yoga or through anything else in order to be 
fully mature in Christ. Now, friends, there's nothing wrong with breathing exercises or stretching. But there is something wrong when you're trying to get in tune with your inner self so that you can become more spiritually mature. You want to know what spiritual maturity is? Knowing Christ and him crucified. So is there some spiritual authority or power out there that exists outside Christ? No. He has the ultimate authority and all authority and power comes from him. He says there are seen and unseen realities. That's true. Paul says we wrestle against flesh and we, we don't just wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. The Colossians and the Christians in Corvallis need to know that those powers are not stronger than Jesus. We should not submit to them or think that we need them along with or in the place of Jesus. We need him alone. In verse 17, because he is the creator and sustainer of all things, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So what are the consequences? What are the consequences of this? That God has both created everything and holds it together by the word of his power? The consequences of it, what do they have for our big worries in life? One of the questions I came across in, in my study this week was, how, how should this bolster our faith that Jesus is the creator of everything and no power exists outside of him and he holds all things? How should this bolster our faith and encourage us in the face of our big worries, like the war in Ukraine? And how should it strengthen our faith when we hear about impending doom of climate disaster? How does the truth that Christ is the king of creation bolster your faith in the big global worries of life, of wars and rumors of wars, of pandemics, of global unrest? How, how should it do it? Think about that for a moment. God is the creator of everything and holds all things together by the word of his power. Some of us don't, just don't worry about these things, uh, but maybe our confidence is misplaced. Maybe we should be worrying about these things, or maybe we shouldn't. Hey, he, friends, the, the, the king of creation is the beloved son of the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his son, the son he loves. So he's redeemed us, forgiven us. Friends, none of these things can finally destroy us. Our, our big global worries. None of them can touch our eternity, can touch our inheritance, can touch that we will one day be with God face to face as he has made all things new. So we can pray and sing with confidence that Christ the creator will bring us through many dangers, toils, and snares. And the ultimate proof that Jesus will bring us through these dangers, toils, and snares is that he went through the ultimate danger, toil, and snare in our place on the cross. 
the path to full Christian maturity uh, is to know Christ the creator. He's the image, the firstborn. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. This is your path to maturity. These are the fundamentals. Stick to them. This is who Jesus is. Why does it matter? It matters for your eternal salvation. Jesus is not only the king of creation, he is also the reconciler of man. And, and we'll go faster through here. This, one, this one won't take as long. Because next week we'll be diving into more of what Jesus as the reconciler means. But notice the parallelism in, in the hymn. Just, it's only 119 words. You can hold it together. Look at it. There's parallelism here that makes it this beautiful poem. That the beloved son, he is the image of the invisible God. And just later on down in, in, in verse 18, the, he is the head of the body of the church. You notice in verse 15, he's the firstborn of all creation. And then as you read down, you see that he's the firstborn from the dead. That as the creator, you notice that he created all things in heaven and on earth. And as the reconciler, he will reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven. God creates and holds together all things through his beloved son. Making peace through the incarnation, death, and resurrection of his son. So we'll, we'll come back to verse 18 on Easter and explore that more fully, what it means for him to be the firstborn from the dead as the resurrected one. But for now, let's recognize that the phrase the firstborn from the dead refers to his resurrection. He, so just to remember, he is not the first to be resurrected. But he is the first to be raised from the dead, never to die again. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection death, burial, and resurrection of Christ confirms his status, though, as the head of the church. The reconciler of man is remaking humanity as a people for himself. You, dear church, you who have put your faith in Christ, repented of your sins, and, and trusted him and him alone for salvation, he is your head. He is your authority. And you are his body. No head of a body wants to harm its body if, if everything is, is going right upstairs. The, the reconciler of man has become the head of humanity, the head of redeemed humanity because of his death, burial, and resurrection. And you are a part of him. You're so vitally connected to him as your head is connected to your body. The reconciler of man is remaking humanity as a people for himself. A bride, it says in the scriptures. A body for himself. And a people at peace with one another because they are at peace with God. And that's who you are. If you've been reconciled to God through the blood of his cross, you are at peace with God and at peace with one another. And 
you know, we, we can grapple with. Well, why do we have disagreements? Why are there di- different denominations? No, in, in Christ, the, the Christ we believe in, through the gospel, we have true unity that can never break us. The purpose of this reconciliation, the remaking of humanity, was so that he might be preeminent. That's what we're just going to focus on for the rest of the time, that he might be preeminent. Friends, if you want to be fully mature in Christ, you must take your place under his preeminence. The reason humanity needs to be reconciled, that is to, to be at peace with one another, to have our, our, our strife and our wars put to cease, our strife and our wars with God put to rest, the reason we need that is because we, we have to be honest here, we have wanted to take the place of Jesus and to be preeminent. There are different ways this can happen, right? Whether it's through legalistic religion, right? Wanting the glory for saving yourself or through progressive Christianity that wants to redefine the gospel, or through the, the new atheists that hate the very idea of God. All of us, all of us have been trying to play, take the place of Jesus, the preeminent one. He's the creator of everything. And there, right there in Genesis 3, we see this happening. Our first parents have uh, tried to, 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 to take that place, saying, no, we, we know what's best for us. We will eat the fruit even though you told us not to. So we're all trying to take the highest place, the preeminence from God. And, 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 and in Colossians, Paul is telling us that it, that place belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus only. And he might have the highest place so that we might be restored to our rightful place as fully human. I've been watching this documentary called The American Gospel, Christ Crucified, which I, I, I recommend to you if you want to borrow my uh, account, let, let me know. I'll let you watch. Or maybe we have a watch party. But it tells the, the story of the importance of the cross of Christ. Why, why does it matter if we believe that Jesus that went to the cross was different than the Jesus of the Bible? Well, it matters because if, if, if he was different, then we don't have good news. So one of the things that the documenter does is uh, he contrasts these two people, Bart Campolo, the son of Tony Campolo, and this family named the Burgers. Russell Burger was part of CrossFit until he got fired. And, and Bart grew up in the church under his famous dad, but has since deconstructed and is now a secular hu- humanist. And he says this, why would you worship the God of the Bible when you can imagine a better God out there? He said, you should just worship the God of your imagination because he's, he's better. If you can imagine a better God, then worship that one. At the same time, the, the Burgers, Russell Burger, who was an atheist, and Catherine Burger, who was, she, she grew up spiritual but not religious, they were drawn to the good news of Christ because of both of his justice and mercy. And Bart said he couldn't believe in a God that wouldn't answer his prayers to heal a cancer patient or deal with the, the poverty in the inner city. 
But in contrast, the, the Burgers, not long after they became Christians, she developed a rare genetic disease that, that caused her chronic pain for the rest of her life. She had to be on oxygen and medication constantly and basically bedridden. But Christ had totally changed their hearts to believe that this illness and suffering was in his plan to bring himself glory and for their good. But they also believe it won't always be like this. See, Bart worshipped the God of his own imagination, and that God failed him, so he turned away. The burghers had their imaginations and wills captured by the real Christ and turned away from their unbelief to Christ. And having believed that true Christ, they could go through the most unimaginable pain. They, they, they knew they could go through it because Jesus went through it first before them. And they knew he was making all things new. So peace and reconciliation with God requires the death of his son. The, the one whom he loves. And it required that the fullness of God dwell in the person of Jesus Christ. It wasn't that Jesus the man was for a time and then God came in him. No, it was that God came down and, and chose to dwell with man by taking on human form inside the womb of a virgin Mary. The second person of the Trinity who is truly God was pleased to dwell with us. The true person of, of Jesus was the Son of God who became man to reconcile the world to himself. The creator of the cosmos came the reconciler of mankind. And not just that, friends. He is reconciling all things to himself. Do you notice that, that word repeated? If you just lay it out, you'll see it repeated. I, I think it's six times, all things, all things. He created all things, and he's reconciling all things. Now, unlike Rob Bell, this is not a universal salvation. But this is a biblical universalism. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 that we read earlier says, so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. Not that everyone will be saved, but every, everything is going to be reconciled to, to its greater purpose. Whether in judgment, eternal judgment, or eternal salvation with him. Not everything in Philippians 2, not everything that's saying that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father necessarily wants to say it. Some of them are forced to say it, but they will say it. God is this biblical universalism, this biblical uh, understanding that he's reconciling all things to himself. Jesus is doing that. He is making all things new. And here at the end of the scriptures, we read that, Revelation 21, that I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anywhere anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who, has, who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And so he is, friends. The path to Christian maturity is knowing and praising this Christ. He's the creator of all things and the reconciler of all things to himself. Friend, if you have not been reconciled to God by, by, the, peace, by the blood of his cross, I, I encourage you to turn to him today, even before we leave this place. Don't leave without being reconciled to him. He's done everything so that you might be reconciled to him. He lived in your place. He died in your place, and he rose again. And he has said, repent, turn from your sins, and believe the good news. Dear Christian, if you're on the path to full maturity, don't let anything distract you from this Christ, the creator of everything and the reconciler of all things. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to be taken up with the true Christ, the real Christ, the, the, the Christ of Scripture who is historical, who walked this earth. And we pray that you would help us to turn to him, cast all of our hope on him, so that we might become fully mature, presented to you. Help us to set our minds on things above and not on things on this earth. We pray that you would do all of these things for Christ's sake. Amen.